0: Music Hello and welcome to Analyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself and a business review, maybe. Today we're going to be talking with CEO and co-founder of Patreon, the really cool place that you can go and support Analyze This at patreon.com slash Analyze This, and investigating a little bit about what it means to take care of yourself while taking care of a business. Enjoy. Do you feel like all of your uh, physical material needs have been met?
1: Totally. Okay, 100%. Great. Okay, good. I'm That's comfy. just comfy. I'm the, cool. You're cool? I'm cool. Okay, good. I'm not like, I'm actually not cool, metaphorically. I mean. You
0: seem pretty cool. You're no. like a young executive with a well-groomed beard. No. So Is this well-groomed? I mean, to me it is. You should oh, this, see mine. Feels- <laughs> when does a man decide to go full bald?
1: <laughs> so I had a club in high school when I started balding, mm. and the club was called Bald. Boys Against Losing Dignity.
0: Oh my God. I and, love that.
1: <laughs> and uh, then about four years later, I cut it all off because it was just like getting ratty and kind of gross. Mm. And it was like, all right, it's time.
0: When do you go full Patrick Stewart?
1: Because he. Yeah. Where I went all the way down. Mm-hmm. That wasn't until like a couple of years after that. So maybe six years PB post bald. post yeah. Six years PB yeah. yeah. post Right.
0: <laughs> I have to say, I have some friends who are trying to make that choice, trying yeah. to figure out. How far does this go before I take my power back, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, before you uh, you control your own destiny. Yes. Put life in your own hands.
0: Put life in your own hands. Be be the leader, be the director, and be the CEO and co-founder of Patreon. Ladies Woo. and gentlemen, today we are joined by Jack Conte. I'm very, very excited about having you here, mainly to talk about hair care. But also with some self-oriented business advice.
1: Great. Love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. This is fun. It's fun to see your spot. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's talk about your journey. Great. So you, what did you
0: start out doing? How did you come to do Patreon?
1: Okay. Here's the fast summary. Okay. I have been uploading YouTube videos since 2007 is when I started uploading videos. First, it was my solo channel, just like music and videos, and then started a band called Pomplamoose with my wife, and we make music videos. And great band, great record- music. Do you know Pomplamoose? I do.
0: No way. I know them from college. Oh, wow. When I was in college, which was around 2006, 2007. Wow, sweet. Yeah. Okay,
1: yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's when we started uploading.
0: That's kind of crazy. I'm a little bit starstruck because I didn't read my notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then my wife signed a record deal with Warner, went off and started touring the world and made a record. And I was kind of left home alone to go crazy by myself. Mm. And so I started working on music video for my solo channel. I was getting really into electronic music at the time. And I built a replica of the Millennium Falcon cockpit in my studio. And I worked with this roboticist who built a 3D-printed hexpod robot and an, another hobbyist roboticist in the UK who built an animatronic head and programmed it to sing lyrics to the song that I was doing. So it was like fucking crazy-ass music video in my studio. Took me three months to build. Cost me 10,000 bucks. Literally, like, I drained my I maxed out two credit cards to make this video. Oh, my God. And finished this whole thing. Realized, fuck, I'm going to upload this video. It's going to get a million views. That's what my videos are usually get. This kind of is it. Done. My
0: future is at my fingertips. I mean, I'm about to be a superstar.
1: Well, no, because, <laughs> because I... I knew I had been doing it at that point for eight years and I knew what happened where you put something online and people love it and there's lots of wonderful comments and energy and positivity and it like feels great. You're like, fuck, I did my job as a creator. And then you get your ad revenue paycheck at the end of the month and it's 150 bucks and you're like, what is happening? What Twilight Zone episode is this? Mm. Um, Yeah, I I don't,
0: I don't, I truly don't think people realize like even right now in 2019 with my channel, I haven't made money from my channel in a long time because I pay people to help make stuff.
1: Wait, you're like operating break even on your channel.
0: No, I'm in the red on my channel. Holy shit. Well, cause I'm trying to build out the studio. Yeah. So in terms of like, if you actually budget out the costs. Right. Right now I'm pouring money into my channel. I have not made money from my channel in a while. See,
1: I, I, that story is so common. And I think most people don't realize that especially about creators. They don't realize that like we're running businesses and we have operating expenses associated with those businesses and we need like teams or sets or props or food or whatever it is to run our stuff. So around the time of finishing this video, when I realized I'm about to upload this video, I'm about to go through this whole thing again. I started getting that like sick feeling that was like, what is happening here? And I started really anticipating that ad revenue check at the end of the month and feeling like, okay, I spent 10 grand on this and I'm going to make 150 bucks back. Mm. And that felt off, especially knowing this was like the most intense thing I'd ever made. And I knew my fans were going to go crazy because they're a bunch of robot tech nerds. And like, I knew it was going to really resonate with the community. And right around the time I was like, wait a minute, I'm not the only creator that's going through this.
0: And so what year is that?
1: This is end of 2012, beginning of 2013. Ah, yes. And so I thought, what if I just asked my fans for a buck a month as if they were becoming members of WNYC or whatever? Yeah. And I sort of sketched out this idea on 14 pieces of printer paper and I called up my freshman year roommate in college who got super pumped about the idea and ended up coding the whole thing by himself in like two and a half months. Mm. And then we launched, we called it Patreon and within two weeks of launching. I was the first creator on the platforms, me, my wife and our roommate Mm. (laughs) and yeah, within like two weeks of launching, I was making $6,000 per month instead of $150 per month. It was so much better. A substantial difference.
0: (laughs) It's interesting because you and I have such similar yet opposite experiences because I run a talent brand. Mm. I'm the talent, right? And so what I found in 2012, 2013 was that as the popularity of the platform increased, it was like I was becoming a part of social currency generating enough space so that I, as a talent brand, could be taken seriously in other traditional forms, Totally, which those are what pay my bills. Yeah. That's not at all having a YouTube channel. As crazy as it sounds, like to other people, this is the reality is that, you know how you can just post a picture to your Instagram and it doesn't cost you any money? That's great. I definitely, that's not running a channel. That's not having a channel. That's not maintaining a schedule. That's not figuring out graphic design. That's not trying to like have an independent media brand, and two cats that need a lot of love. Sorry, I'm just giggling because Charles jumped on somebody's shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) But so 2012, 2013 was where maintaining the channel was the easiest. And between 2014, 2016, it became, ah, the talent brand is the brand that brings in the money.
1: And so for you, the business lines and the revenue didn't come from the videos that were the things that made you what you are. It came from the kind of dance that you did around your videos. to It
0: came from different revenue streams. Selling merch, Uh t-shirts was huge for me, appearances, Mm -hmm. and working, like being a host, generating other projects, that that kind of stuff. And I bring this up because, and you might be surprised about this because this question is not in our outline, our beautiful, wonderful outline. In the beginning days of Patreon, Mm -hmm. I had a hard time signing on to the idea of Patreon because I didn't feel like I still felt so lucky to be able to be making anything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if I can't pay for it, I got to get a job. Now, I find a lot of use and a lot of great benefit in Patreon because it's funding individual projects. We have a Patreon, not for Hannah Hart, but for Hannah This, the groundbreaking self-help podcast that just can't help itself. (laughs) For me, that feels like my comfortable space. Mm -hmm. What would you say the percentage of individual artists versus projects?
1: actually don't know we don't even track that or Mm. have that as a metric for the company you know creators run things differently there are some creators who like amanda palmer for example just does so many different things and she doesn't want to have you're basically funding amanda palmer art art right and she literally calls them things because every time it's different she released a poem a couple months ago and had spent a ton of time and energy working on this poem. that was her month's work and Mm. she was like great this is what i'd like to be paid for this month Mm. um and so she was able to do that and then there are some creators that you know, for whatever reason, they really want it to be like, this is my Patreon for this particular podcast or for this particular YouTube channel or, or whatever it is. And that works great too. So it's just kind of up to the individual creator. The thing that I, I think I would love for the world to understand is that this model of like converting attention into dollars, which is essentially what distribution platforms have done. Creators upload stuff, fans watch it advertisers know that they're watching it. And so they steal a little bit of that attention by putting a thing in front of it. They don't steal it. They pay for it. And then that creates revenue for the ecosystem, for the creators, for the platform. That is so bizarre to me. That is such a weird way. If you think of these platforms as a conversion mechanism that takes art, you input art and outputs money, right? That is the weirdest machine in the world.
0: Well, which is why it's not a conversion mechanism in that way. It's, previous benefit was a discovery mechanism. It was a place where you could get your videos discovered. But what I really like about Patreon is that it's kind of post-discovery. You're not looking to advertise for other people. You're looking to more directly convert a pre-existing base.
1: Exactly. Okay. And so we, yeah, we literally don't think of ourselves as a discovery platform mm-hmm. or a content company. We're not a content company. We're like, business tools for creators to run and grow their membership businesses. Yeah. That's what we are. I
0: love that about you guys. You know, one of my personal like pet peeves about kind of what we have today in this space with all these different platforms is that everybody tries to be everything Mm -hmm. instead of having like their lane effectively and being like, Hey, this is what we do. This is what we do well. And this is our direct conversion. Like this is great. We set up something great. Maybe let's go build something else. Everybody tries to take what they've built and turn it into something else you know, I won't mention names, but like, okay, no, I will. Google, YouTube. They're really pushing this like donate button or this or this paid subscriptions or this or this and that. And I'm like, guys, why don't you just focus on your own stuff going on right now? Why don't you focus on cleaning up your advertising dynamics? Why don't you focus on cleaning up your algorithm, which will flag things unnecessarily. Stop trying to add new services on top of it. Just perfect the services you already provide. And I'm trying to bring this all back to one larger creative metaphor. Yeah. So So as a creative business person, Mm -hmm. how did you figure out what of your services you wanted to fine tune? Not about Patreon, but you as an individual, what Mm. directions you wanted to
1: go in? I've, and maybe you had a different experience, but at the beginning it was spray and pray for me. It was just like, I knew I wanted to make things and I wanted to have that be my life. I wanted to see if I could make money by just being creative and making a bunch of stuff.
0: Industrious.
1: Sure, there you go. Yeah. Um, And uh, enterprising. And originally I thought what I did was I I created an album. I spent six months on this album. And then I uploaded it on my MySpace page. And if you look at my first YouTube videos... The call to action at the end of the video says, "Hey, go listen on my MySpace page. Go listen to my album that I made over here." But the little videos that I made to direct people to my MySpace page, those videos themselves became the thing that people wanted. Mm. And they were just like little short music bursts that were fun and showed me in the studio making sounds and making music. And I didn't even realize that that was going to be the thing. And so I guess to answer your question, the way I think of it is you put things out, you put out little feelers in the world. And then every once in a while, you'll see like a little glimmer, you'll get like a little bit of feedback, like, hey, this is good. We want more of that. We like this. Mm. Um, And then you can kind of zig and zag. And eventually you kind of find your lane as a creator, you find the thing that you make that resonates with people. Um, And then you enter kind of a different mode once you have found that lane where you're like scaling that lane, and you're doubling down and you're iterating on it and you're making it better and you're building a team around it or you're doing whatever. But for me it was just that really playful fun zone of uh, and companies go through this too called product market fit where it's before you've made something that resonates with a market with like an audience.
0: I love the idea of the spray and pray. I completely encourage it for anyone who wants to have either a creative endeavor or business endeavor in your life and you have ideas but you don't, you know, the idea of so much pressure you know, being put into one thing mm-hmm. and that one thing has to succeed or fail, mm-hmm. or you won't ever be able to have a creative aspect of your life. Right. That seems so toxic to me. Did you ever have trouble giving yourself permission to spray and pray? Like the permission of, you know, I'm going to put all of this energy out and none of it might come back. Did you ever hesitate? Like,
1: was- of course. That's the hardest thing in the world. It's so hard because it takes so much to make things. And then there's a lot of vulnerability too because you're trying something that's maybe a little edgy or different or weird. A lot of
0: sleepless nights because maybe you're so spending many. money on something that just straight up might not come back.
1: I wrote a blog post called I'm fucking terrified and it's just about me spending money on something, taking daily trips to Home Depot, realizing that this I'm getting more and more in the red and this is like a horrible risk and there's no path like in front of me. Yeah. It's terrifying that those are terrifying moments. And it takes like a lot of just self conviction and a choice. You know what it is? It's like a choice to just do it, even though you're not feeling it, Yeah, even though you're like, holy shit inside, you kind of just keep going anyway.
0: You know, so many people have this idea of working creatives or creatives in general, as if granting ourselves the permission is easy. As if it's not a choice we're making every day to face that fear. As if doubt isn't our number one, like, bedfellow. You know what I mean? People think, oh, well, if they're doing all this, like, wow, I wish it could be easy like that for me. It's like, no, I feel the exact same way you do. I just have, to, I am doing this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Do you? How much of your time would you say when you're not, like, super engaged in making something? How much of your time is spent wondering if you're doing the right thing?
0: I can't give that question any validity. I just can't because that question doesn't have an answer. Mm. What right thing, you know? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. to answer that question would be to presume there was a goal, an end result. That would be enough. This is what I'm doing cuz this is what I have to do. Like Do you
1: not have goals for analyze this or for the show or for the Oh like- yeah,
0: my goals are only ever one thing, which is closing loops. I want to make everything self-sustaining so that it can Um, grow so mm -hmm. that any money I'm putting into it is like strengthening it. Mm -hmm. But you can't get there until your foundation is set. Mm -hmm. And even after eight years of running a channel, you go through peaks and valleys of its profitability, especially when it's beholden to something like other advertisers and who the fuck knows what somebody else is going to upload today. Maybe if someone committing suicide and now everybody's fucked because no advertisers want to be on the channel or like on the platform. But because of that, I see it like if I want to continue to be able to generate independent video, if I want to continue to have this as an arm of my creative self, right now I have to invest in protecting that. So the question of, is this going to work out? That's not my question.
1: It's- so then what's the doubt? Like when you said you you go through the same doubt that everyone else goes through, What what are you doubting? Am I going to blow it? Mm-hmm.
0: It's not, will this be good enough? It's... Am I going about this the wrong way? Mm-hmm. It's doubt like, when will this get easier? Will it ever get easier? Why do you have to put so much effort into making a sustainable system? Mm-hmm. That's the doubt.
1: It's so funny you say that. I was on a call with one of our board members the other day and we were going through some shit at Patreon. He could hear it in my voice and he was like, you know, you okay, Jack? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And he was like, okay. And this is like right before we ended the call. He was like, Jack, it, it never gets easier.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> and, and I was like, I, was like,
1: I know. Okay. And he was like, it's always hard, and it never gets easier. Hang in there. I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then we ended the call. Actually, that was very comforting for me. Yeah. Because not only did I, like, get a moment of commiseration with somebody who's been there, done that, but also, for me at least, to hear him say that and to acknowledge that, like, this shit's hard. It just is hard to do and to make and to go through and building something from nothing. It's just a hard process. And that's, that's it. I will get so in my head that I'll almost like start to feel guilty about the fact that it's hard. And then I'm like, oh yeah. It's like, oh no, the entitlement,
0: I... they're like, wow. Totally. I'll, like, but so in that moment, that yeah. feeling of right before it becomes guilt. Mm-hmm. I think I've gotten good enough at stopping myself right before guilt and having gratitude. Yeah. Which is that, that self-check of like. I'm in the red right now for the youtube channel but i know it won't always be this way this is investment money and right now the only risk is frankly on my part just kind of exhaustion but i know that as soon as this is set up it will get better and it will be easier so i gotta focus on that like just the gratitude of being able to take this risk quote unquote right now and have limits so when you're starting a creative project or when you're starting out a new project do you set limits or timelines? Like if we're not at this point yet at this time, we need to reevaluate. Do you go into it looking at it? Like what are our goals? and like? It depends on the project.
1: The way I think about it is like for some things, it makes a lot of sense to work towards outcomes. And that is a style of working and it yields a certain type of result and a certain process is associated with that style of working. And it's very effective. It can be really great. I have also noticed after years and years of working towards outcomes for certain projects, it can also stifle a certain type of creativity and work. And so I don't think working towards outcomes is necessarily the best type of effort mm. for all projects.
0: I think it depends on the outcome. External outcomes, you can't predict or control. But like setting your internal compass, compass mm-hmm. goals for mm-hmm. your company and your microcosm, mm-hmm. I feel like that's safe. Yeah, you know or like safer I do not believe in being beholden to external results yeah x number of views I think it's like hey are we at the point where the channel's healthy enough that Hannah can get paid for making a video yeah that would be super duper
1: right <laughs> you know so that's like revenue goals as opposed to like reach goals yeah or profitability goals really because right. it has to do with your spend too
0: Yeah. Do you feel a lot of pressure to keep up with other business trends? Like how much of the way other people run their business affects your business?
1: Yeah. I don't feel pressure to do that. I do feel pressure. And by the way, that pressure comes from me and it comes from what I want for Patreon. It's not coming from external sources. Like, for instance, one thing that's really important for me, being a creator on YouTube and being a creator on Facebook and all these other platforms, I've just consistently felt deprioritized and... Forgotten and third or fourth place. I'm not being built for. I'm not being cared for. And it's it's not. I'm, I don't mean to talk shit about YouTube because I love those companies. And I'm very grateful that they exist and that we have distribution at all. Is like yeah, you should be careful. This is a
0: super popular podcast, bro. I'm, like no, only I'm... Only, <laughs> only senior level executives listen to this podcast. Okay, no, might be no. our beautiful earbuds <laughs> and exclusively senior level executives. No, it's that <laughs> moment
1: of gratitude, right? Because like as creators, we we love hate YouTube. It's important for me to realize, to take a step back every once in a while when I'm complaining about YouTube and be like. It is amazing that I get to reach people at all. And so I just every time I talk shit about YouTube, I always want to preface it with the fact that I'm like eternally grateful that company exists because it's the only reason that I've been able to have a creative career in the first place. Yeah,
0: and we'll just see if it starts to figure its own shit out or totally. if it wants to become Daily Motion.
1: Totally. But No the, offense,
0: Daily Motion. <laughs> hey, you do you, you know.
1: <laughs> the 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 pressure that I feel is me not wanting Patreon to go down that path. And to end up like those companies.
0: Ooh, then you better stay like very mindful. <laughs> like that's going to be all on your your.
1: That's my job. That's you. At the end of the day, that is what that is the that is my job. That like that's culture. It's bringing the right people on board from the board to investors to employees to partners. It's how we act with each other. What we talk about internally. What values. We have all those things. And there's no silver bullet, right? It's not like, oh, just do these three things and you'll be a creator first company.
0: So how do you, this is a very direct question, which also I think applies on the personal level. Mm -hmm. Some people have a hard time hearing their own voice. Yeah. You could have the most loving and supportive family in the world, the tightest group of friends. You could be a verbal processor. With all of that feedback Mm -hmm. or opinion, how do you stay loud enough to speak and quiet enough to hear?
1: Yeah. Because yeah.
0: you have investors, you have other partners, you have people with thoughts and opinions that maybe have saved the day in the past. That responsibility that you have to keep the direction. Mm-hmm. How do you hear yourself?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's such an important question. And I, I would love to say, well, the answer is. Uh, really? Because I would is- love for you to have an answer. <laughs> like I'm really needing an answer, man. <laughs> no, I, I am I'm still working on that. And I'm always working on that. The other day, not the other day. This is now a year and a half ago. I was in an exec meeting with all the Patreon execs. And we were on the table. I don't remember the context exactly. I was maybe waffling on a decision or like maybe thinking like, oh, actually, maybe we should try something else. And one of the execs just said out loud, Hey, Jack, you need to work on your balance of humility and conviction. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's good to be really humble and to re-examine a decision and re-examine yourself. And sometimes you need to fucking stick to your guns and have conviction in a direction and go for it. Yeah. And I wish there
0: was a way to like know that. Like I wish there was a meter that you could see and you could look down at your own hand, your own wrist and see a meter almost like a sound bar that's saying like, "Uh uh-oh, nope, this is getting two in the red on internal compass. Or it's saying like, this feels uncomfortable because it's your pride, not a problem. Like, you know what I mean? It's the gauge between, do I have a weird feeling about this because it's a bad move? Or do I have a weird feeling about this because I'm having a bad day?
1: Yeah. And the thing is, it's different for every person. I think some people default towards conviction and some people default towards humility. And that's why 360s and feedback and mm. that stuff is so important. Like, for example, I know that one of my defaults, not one, of, like, maybe like my main default is to like re-examine and to rethink and to think that, well, maybe I'm wrong. That's my um, default.
0: My default is totally like, humility. and I had a psychic tell me oh, years most ago. Most creators
1: are like that, by the way. I had a psychic
0: tell me years ago. Be careful of false humility. Yeah, totally. Because my default is like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. totally. Maybe I'm like, maybe this is like, I'm ruining everybody's day. Sorry, yeah. guys. My bad. Okay, let me just recheck myself. And then like three days later, I'll be like, yeah, no, I still think that this is the wrong move. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I wish I didn't have that self-torture, you know? it's It's like being at a family dinner and everybody starts saying, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. You're like, yeah, sure, guys. Okay, you're right. Yeah, sure. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah. Like, I wish I knew.
1: And you're like, in like taking notes. Yeah. Oh, okay. What should I do? Oh, okay, great. As if like fucking other people have the answers and know your trajectory and career better than you do. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, how do you stay humble without being overly accommodating?
1: The way I like to think about it Am is. I,
0: my version, my answer to that? Yeah. Isolation.
1: <laughs> you what? Oh, isolation.
0: <laughs> it's not a sustainable answer.
1: Like, less feedback?
0: No, I just stop talking.
1: Just don't, just like... I just,
0: I just start just shut down. Go
1: into Hannah's space. I go
0: into like, I go deep, deep into myself. And I'm like, yeah. I actually won't even share this idea. I'll just start
1: it. Yeah.
0: And then people get upset. They're like, well, how long have you been thinking about this? And then the feedback loop starts. Yeah. But the feedback loop is good. I mean, these are the people in your life that if we're using the personal example, love and support you. And if we're using yeah. the business example, have investment. I don't, it's tough. It's, I think, I don't think people realize how emotional being CEO is and how much of the personal self-awareness and self-defaults and like being gracious but not a pushover and being oh my god I don't think people realize that it's 24 hours a day seven days a week and all of your interactions
1: yeah I mean I look again anytime I start talking about this I have to say like I am so grateful that I have this job like it is so weird I'm a YouTube creator Mm -hmm. And now I'm a CEO of a high tech company that's building products and sending hundreds of millions of dollars to creators. Like let's trade. I feel (laughs) so lucky to have this position. Any moment that I spend complaining about it, I'm going to just preface with like, I feel very grateful that I have that job and Holy shit. It's so hard. And it's, very emotional. I was, I read so much about the position and the job and running companies just because I want to get better. I, I like my job and I want to make sure that I grow with the company and then I'm, I grow my capabilities as a leader. And right. Cause if, if
0: the company is growing faster than then you, I you lead, am lead,
1: then I'm out. Yeah. And I don't want that. And the thing is though, if that ever happens, see, I, I also, um, pray for freedom. I, well, <laughs> no, no, I want to stay CEO. I love my job. And part of the reason I love my job and I want to stay CEO is because I feel like right now I'm the best CEO for Patreon because I have the experience of what it feels like to be a creator on a company that's scaling and going through this period that Patreon's going through. I also want to make sure that the person who is the CEO of Patreon is the best person for the job at all times. Mm. And I also acknowledge that at some point in the future, I'm not saying soon, but at some point in the future, that also might not be me. But that's a beautiful thing, right? Because I Because want... then you've
0: built something that's grown beyond you. Yeah. And instead of it becoming a monster, like instead of being Dr. Frankenstein, you've enabled so many individual artists and creators to have sustainable forms of income in a yeah. very unstable, hostile even <laughs> environment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, but again, I don't want that or expect that anytime soon. My preference would be to just keep growing myself personally so that I can keep up with the company.
0: And I would like to applaud you and give you kudos for being aware that your personal growth to learn as a leader, I think it's what is making you a great leader for this company. And that is how I'm gonna transition to our last segment. Okay, See, there's a whole plan. What
1: a plan. I know. That was dumb luck right there. It
0: was not. (laughs) We're gonna get into the 360 evaluation.
1: I love it. See? Ah,
0: Beautiful planning. Yeah, thank you. You know, it was just, you know, the segues, they don't build themselves. (laughs) No, they do. I'm just, it's so weird because I always find myself exactly where I need to be, but I'm not thinking about it because I'm being present. Mm -hmm. But then somehow it's right where I want to arrive at.
1: Yeah. What a great metaphor. Hopefully. I hope.
0: couldn't, (laughs) Couldn't tell you. As soon as we're done recording this podcast, I'll have forgot everything that happened the last hour and a half. Not only do I like to talk about the personal the business, the meta, et cetera, et cetera. I also really, really, really like to talk about tools. I'm a very tool-oriented person. Mm -hmm. Not that I use tools, but I love to look at them and think about (laughs) them and be like, that's great. What a good tool that is. (laughs) And maybe somehow it seeps into my subconscious and I build them over time, but I do love to learn about tools. A couple of years ago, you did something called a 360 evaluation. I Um, do them
1: all the time. You do them all the time? Every six months. Every six months? Mm -hmm
0: tell me all about that. What yeah. What is it? Why is it? How do you do it?
1: Yeah. So essentially what it is is a way to close the gap between your version of reality and the people around you and their version of reality. And the closer that you can see other people's reality and the closer you can reconcile your reality with their reality, the closer you get to understanding what is actually happening. And I think a lot of the time we think we know what is actually happening. We think we know how other people perceive us. We think we know how our behaviors are making other people feel and why they're doing certain things. And a lot of the time we're dead wrong. And so this is a tool that closes that gap and helps us better understand reality.
0: That sounds amazing. It's
1: cool, right? That
0: sounds fantastic. Cause yeah. my fear is always, I'm being frustrating.
1: You should learn. You, sorry, I need I, to I learn this. To no. You, th- so I did this thing called T group, two second diversion here. T group is it's people you don't know. Twelve hours a day, twelve to fourteen hours a day. You're sitting in a circle with ten people. You can only talk about here and now. You don't talk about well at work, blah blah. You just talk about my experience of you, right now in this moment. And when you said that, so literally people will say things to each other in this group. It's like, hey, when you said that that way, it made me feel really annoyed. And I think part of it was the tone of your voice and that you like oh. said this and it almost and the story in my head was that you were accusing that person. That and then that person will say, oh. Thanks for letting me know that. I didn't realize that it sounded like I was accusing that person. That wasn't my intention. And that person will say, but when you gave me that feedback, I felt, and then they'll say like what they felt and how you did this.
0: Why don't they teach you these it to is, kindergartners, guys? We could save ourselves just like so much damn time.
1: <laughs> I the Communication is so important. And again, it like closes the gap between that reality and your reality. And mm. it's such a helpful tool. Anyway, when you said like, I, I worry that I'm frustrating people. One of my worries is that people are just annoyed with me. And this is just like my I just am a obsessive, anxious person. And so I think about that all the time. And going to T Group helped me understand that like for the most part, people's like experience of me for the most part is like not annoying. There are things that I do that annoy people and I like learn about those things. But it made me feel a little more confident in a Mm -hmm. way. Just Mm -hmm. having access to that information in real time. Mm. Okay. Anyway, 360s. So here's how you do 360. You get feedback, written feedback from a lot of different people that you work with. So I'll... I'm out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how do I know that they're just not projecting all their emotional bullshit onto me? Is it a set set mm-hmm. of questions?
1: Yeah, there's a set okay, of questions. Okay. I'm back
0: in-ish. I'm, I'm like, a little, <laughs> I'm a little bit in. The,
1: the thing is you can, do you know the framework when you do behavior X, it makes me feel feeling Y? Do you know that framework?
0: Behavior X makes me feel feeling Y. When
1: you do this, I've always been taught that feeling,
0: but then I've always taught that's the wrong way to communicate. I've always, that's so great. Because when you blank, I blank, takes all the power out of my hands, puts it into somebody else's. So it's like, I've always been a I statement first person. Like, I feel worried that I'm frustrating you. Not when you cut me off, it makes me think you're frustrated.
1: Right. Uh, So I see what you mean. Although I have to say, when you say, I feel worried that I'm frustrating you. The other person might say, what am I doing that makes you feel like I'm frustrating you? Uh, And then you might learn that that Hmm. person might learn that when they sit there with their arms crossed and their eyes up, that that's a signal to you that they feel frustrated. Okay. And so, so it's um, like a
0: check-in. It's like, I noticed your arms are crossed right now. Are you feeling frustrated? Because I feel worried that you are. Is the kind of idea. I get that.
1: And then then you could use, so the, the, I don't know, the the way I think about this is, um, we often think it's like stimulus response. Something happens in the environment and then we have an emotional reaction, which is not true. What actually happens is there's a stimulus, something happens in the world around us. And then we craft a story in our head. There's a narrative. And we think that is happening because I blah, blah. And we create this chain of events and we link it to our little anxious hearts. And then we feel guilty and awful. But what you forget is that it started with a visual cue or an auditory cue, literally something that a camera would see or an audio recorder would hear. Mm. And so I think it's important to tell people the cues that led to the story in your head that made you feel the feelings that you feel, to just share all those things with each other. If everybody's aware of the cues and the narratives, then everyone kind of has all the information. Mm. You end up working way better together because you're just being honest and transparent mm. with all of the things. Do you have siblings? I have a sister.
0: Cool. You yeah. guys do this? You and your fam?
1: Uh, no, not so well with my family. <laughs> I do it great <laughs> at work and my wife and I do it really well. She's Ella and best I, we
0: have really good communication. Yeah. I'm really proud of us and like where we've gotten to it because we absolutely have to. Yeah. Because we're both leaders in right. our businesses. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, she straight up pulls out management training tools on me all the time. Yeah. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm like, fair. I feel heard. Thank you
1: so much. Oh, it's so great. My well, wife does that to me. A couple of years ago, I showed up late to a date night. and She was like, when you show sh- up 30 minutes late to a date night. I feel night. disrespected. And I was like, fuck, I'm never showing up late to a date night again.
0: Ooh, really? Okay. Yes. But then what if your partner has just inherent problems with time management? So, She's just a perpetually late kind of person.
1: So that can... So, yeah. And you can figure out the solution. Yeah. Okay, so back
0: to the 360. Okay, Okay, so step one is open the door for feedback. Yep. Now, do you structure the feedback? You're like, hi guys, we're going to do the feedback for these questions in this way.
1: Yeah, the way we sort of frame it is pretty, I think, simple just because it leaves room for open-ended things. Like, what did this person do well over the last three months? What are like key accomplishments? What's really great? What are they getting better at? Um, Or just what are they really good at? Mm -hmm. And then what could this person have done better in the last three months? What results could they have gotten better? Where do they need to grow? Looking forward over the next 12 months, where does this person need to level up? Everyone in the company goes through that process where Mm. we get feedback from people around us that Mm. are like our peers. If you're a manager, then your reports give you that feedback. Mm -hmm. And which is so important because they tell you what it's like to be managed by you.
0: Right. What if it's like, hey, so-and-so's Stress level Mm -hmm. is at a 10 Mm -hmm. every time they walk through the door. There's never a day where they walk in that door and they're not at a a fucking 10.
1: Are you saying you or this is what you're seeing in somebody else?
0: I'm creating a hypothetical situation.
1: Okay, all right. What if
0: one was was working with someone whose stress level was always at a 10? Okay. So the feedback is, how do you keep it professional?
1: Well, so I would say in that particular case... It's a story in your head that that person is stressed. You don't know what they're feeling.
0: When they come in, they're like, fucking god damn it.
1: Then that's the feedback. When you come in and you say, fucking goddamn oh. it, it makes me feel anxious. But you don't know, you're taking a leap. In mm. fact, you're doing what's called crossing the net. When yeah. you say you're stressed, yeah. you're telling someone else what their emotional internal reality is. And the person uh, You don't know that.
0: I love this. All you know
1: is that they said, fucking goddamn it, blah, 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 in a loud tone of tone of voice with a high pitch. And that made you feel anxious. Wow. And that's important information for that person to know. Uh, when you walk in in the morning and you say, Fucking god damn it, it makes me feel anxious.
0: Love that. You're absolutely right. I feel like I just had a little mini epiphany. That's sick. Because in my head, I'm like, well, clearly there's no other reason someone would behave this way unless they were deeply
1: troubled. <laughs> but again, that has to do with... So the, the way... Because the some, we some like people to... just
0: run hot and they can walk in and say, fucking goddamn it," and feel totally calm. And feel fine. They'll be like, oh, yeah, sorry. I just or wanted...
1: maybe they're joking. Or maybe they're trying to bond with a coworker. Or maybe they had a rough morning at home, but it has nothing to do with work. Maybe okay. they're crushing it at work.
0: Okay. So you guys aggregate all this feedback. Mm-hmm. And then...
1: And then you read it and you go through it and you put on your humble hat and you just take it and you... What about th- solutions, proposals? Like, what do you guys do? Typically, the the person who is getting the feedback will work with their manager and they'll do like um, a process after the feedback comes in, which is like, okay, what feedback do I agree with? What resonates? What feedback do I kind of disagree? Like, what behaviors am I not going to change? What do I feel like is not the right feedback? Which is such an important part of the process because... You're not getting orders from other people. You're just getting data. And it's up to you to decide how to use that data.
0: Oh my God. I love you. <laughs> G- Let's have a four person marriage. We It takes a village. We'll raise like two good-ish kids. That'll be fine. Maybe. Okay. Who knows? I love that. Yeah. I love the objectivity of data. Yeah. And taking the personal story, the yeah. self-attached narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reinforcers, Yeah, not letting the reinforcers lead the charge. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because they might be telling you the feedback might be full of the stories in their head if they don't know how to properly give feedback.
0: Wow.
1: And then you just have to parse the story in their head and think if there's actually a behavior that you're doing, you have to kind of diagnose and dig and see if there's something you're doing that's making them feel that way
0: so then once you open the door of experience and yeah. two people have the understanding of how their behavior affects each other's experience yeah is there a follow-up is there a check-in is there like a three months later like hey is so-and-so still still yelling fucking goddamn it you know because on one hand totally. someone will be like yeah they are and i get it now i'm not bothered or no they stopped it's great
1: yeah And that's that's they started working
0: out in the morning and everything's been much better. Now they just
1: feel better, Um, which, by the way, might literally be a solution like work out in the morning. But there's no way you could tell the person to work out in the morning. Or maybe you think the solution is working out in the morning, but they know actually they just need to eat breakfast or they need to have coffee before they get to work or whatever. Like it might be a simple little thing that they God, I hate when people come to work without eating. (laughs) I do that sometimes.
0: But like you're the CEO. It's fine. It's fine. You can do, you know, unfortunately you can do whatever you want. However, you should be your best, most optimum self. But if somebody's like, oh yeah, I haven't eaten all day and it's like 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. Wait, let me try and practice feedbacking Great. or like whatever this is. Do it. I can practice it. Okay. So a person comes in. Yeah. 1 p.m. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, sorry. I haven't eaten yet today. Here's me building a narrative. They don't take this job seriously because they don't take themselves seriously wow. because they lack the total self-awareness to know that if you're hungry, you're not performing at your best capacity, that nothing should have stopped you between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. from eating something. So that's my narrative. <laughs> Maybe So the feedback I could give is, I can't work if I'm hungry. Yep. And it makes me nervous when I hear that you're hungry because for me, I know I'm performing worse. Can
1: I be, can, can yeah. we, can yeah. we yeah. play this out? Can I, I be love. in person? Yes. Oh, wow. That's so funny. I actually work better when I'm hungry. When I'm a little bit hungry, I find that I'm just like super concentrated and focused and I use a snack as a goal so that when I finish my morning emails, I go have a snack. It actually gets me really like productive in the morning.
0: Sweet. Love that. Great. World solve. World peace. Here we go. (laughs) Maybe
1: that's a load of shit. But but maybe.
0: I mean, sure. And if they say that, then I'm like, okay, I believe that you're not just lying. (laughs) (laughs) But no, okay. No, I think to open up the door that you're, narr- for me, Hannah, that my narratives could be even stronger than I realize. Yeah. There being room for that, mm-hmm. I love. It's a way of allowing the other person's experience, their reality, and expressing my reality without trying to pick which is the quote-unquote
1: right one. And that's why the literally the diagram that we draw is like, This is your reality. There are three realities. This is yours on the left side. That's all the emotions you feel, the intentions that you have, like what you're bringing, your context that you're bringing to the conversation. Then this reality on the far right side is that person, their emotions, their intentions, the impact that the things you're saying has on them. You think you have visibility into that reality. You don't. We create narratives that make us think we know what that reality is, but we have no idea what emotions they're experiencing. And then this middle reality is literally physical things that happen, words that they use, the volume of their voice, the pitch of their voice, how high their shoulders are, whether their eyebrows are squinted, body language, just like literally things that a video recorder would see or audio like recorder would hear. Those are the three realities. And sometimes we do what's called crossing the net where we guess what the other person is thinking or feeling or what their intentions are. And I think the more we realize when we do that, the healthier the relationships that we can have because we can end up knowing, oh, wow, I actually don't know that you don't care about this job. You just showed up to the meeting five minutes late. And now the story in my head is that you're demotivated and you don't really put out for your work. And But that's a story, like maybe that person's-
0: Was finishing up who a deck that they were so excited to share in the meeting and they needed five extra minutes to finish who the deck. Yeah.
1: And so when we make that leap across the net, it's just good for us to recognize, oh, I'm crossing the net right now. And that's usually when I use the phrase, the story in my head is that you don't care about mm. this job is that right is that story Ex- correct
0: relating experience over evidence this yes is not evidence
1: this yeah. is your experience and evidence is that middle world yeah it's when your shoulders are raised when you walk in and say fucking hell god damn it physical things that ha- that are like any are inarguable that's the middle reality
0: wow I love this. I love you. I love this. I'm so happy. I feel like I've gotten a lot out of today. If you listening have also gotten a lot of today, you can go ahead and find more of Jack Conti on social media. Do you, you know, at Jack Conti, et cetera.
1: I don't do social media anymore. But at you Patreon. Follow, you can follow Pomplamoose. Patreon. Pomplamoose or Scary Pockets. which is my funk band on oh, YouTube. Oh,
0: sweet. Yeah. Pompomousse or Scary Pockets on YouTube. Uh, and you can check, well, Moose is the, yeah, man, I do we don't have pomus we'll play well we won't play a track but I'll tweet about it anyway um, if you guys have enjoyed listening to this episode of analyze this please rate review let us know give us feedback because without your feedback we don't know what direction you want this show to go not saying that that's necessarily the direction it will go but I'd love to just know in general and as always if you want to be a part of our beautiful wonderful earbud family go ahead and go to patreon.com slash analyze this and sign up today we have prices as low as five dollars a month and lots and lots of goodies Thank you so much for being here. You have given me such uh, incredible food for thought that I, I find myself philosophically gorged. <laughs> I love it. I love it, too. Okay, Thanks, guys. Shanna. Have a great day. Yeah. Yay. yay. yay.